protests erupted across the U.S. after Politico released a leaked draft of a Supreme Court opinion that overturns Roe v. Wade. The move would eliminate 49 years of federal abortion protections. Roe v. Wade has got to go! Chief Justice John Roberts has confirmed the draft opinion is authentic. However, it's just a draft and could change before an official ruling in June. But it does indicate what the court's majority is thinking, that abortion should be left up to the states. On the first page of that draft opinion, Justice Samuel Alito writes, quote, For the first 185 years after the adoption of the Constitution, each state was permitted to address this issue in accordance with the views of its citizens, end quote. At least 23 states, including Oklahoma, have laws in the books that would at least partially ban abortions if Roe is overturned. But 16 other states, including Colorado, have laws boosting abortion access or even codifying the right to an abortion in the state legal code. After the break, we'll hear from lawmakers in both Oklahoma and Colorado, one who agrees that Roe should be overturned and one who doesn't. We'll also hear from an abortion provider in Missouri. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways. In a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time, here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is committed to helping you in times of stress with customized online therapy. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com 1A and see if it helps life feel a little bit easier. We're discussing the impact overturning Roe v. Wade could have on states. Joining us from Oklahoma City is Republican State Representative Jim Olson. He sponsored Oklahoma's recent laws restricting abortion. Also with us is NPR national correspondent Sarah McCammon. Representative Olson, you've been a leader in getting your state to pass legislation restricting abortions. How did you react when you saw that the Supreme Court seems likely to overturn Roe? Uh, With cautious optimism. Uh, It's potentially great news, but a draft opinion, you know, is not a final opinion. So we are very, very hopeful for the good news for the millions of unborn babies. One of the bills you sponsored bans abortion entirely, except in circumstances where the birthing person's life is in medical jeopardy. And that became law last month and is set to go into effect in August, depending on what happens with Roe. Did you expect the Supreme Court to overturn Roe when you pursued that legislation? You know, actually, uh, if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said, I don't know which way it's going to go. Naturally, I hoped it would get overturned, but I really didn't know what to expect. Sarah, these Oklahoma laws will only be allowable if the Supreme Court overturns Roe. Other states have similar so-called trigger laws that would almost immediately restrict abortion access if Roe is overturned. Walk us through how that works. Right. So um, we talk about, quote unquote, overturning Roe v. Wade a lot. And that is sort of a shorthand really for overturning decades of Supreme Court precedent that, starting with Roe in 1973, guaranteed the right to an abortion. I think it's one thing, one thing that's important to understand is that overturning Roe would not ban abortion, it would allow states to do that at the state level. 
The reality, though, is that many, many states are poised to ban abortion almost immediately if given the opportunity. Um, and I'll get to that in just a second. But quickly, what, what Roe did essentially, as well as um, several subsequent precedents that affirmed or slightly adjusted it, is essentially said that states cannot prohibit abortion prior to fetal viability, so before a fetus could live outside of the womb. And that is, you know, currently the law of the land. But if that goes away, then states would have a lot more space to restrict or ban abortion in those earlier stages, those first two trimesters, essentially. Um, and so, as I said, many states are poised to do that. According to an analysis by the Guttmacher Institute, about 26 states are certain or likely to ban abortion if Roe v. Wade goes away. And those state laws look a lot of different ways. They work different ways. Um, and we can go into that in more detail if you'd like. But the bottom line is that that is sort of what appears eminent. Um, and exactly how that will play out is impossible to predict. But there's been a great deal of activity in state legislative sessions this year. And really, in the last few years, we saw kind of an uptick in that um, really throughout the Trump administration as more and more conservative Supreme Court nominees were chosen and confirmed. Representative Olson, the, the other law you sponsored makes it a felony to provide an abortion except in medically necessary life-saving circumstances. Uh, providers could face a fine of up to $100,000 or a maximum 10-year prison sentence. Now, many laws restricting abortion still have exceptions for rape and incest. Why didn't you include those exceptions? Uh, the reason we did not is because the baby has a right to life, and it is not right to make the baby pay the price for the sins of its father. So you've got three people in question here in this whole matter. You've got the baby, who's certainly innocent, the mother, who's also innocent, and then the father, who in this case, in the case of forcible rape, is very, very guilty. If somebody out of those three is going to lose their life, let it be the criminal, not the innocent baby. So the mother, the fetus, and the person who commits the assault. We should note here that in 2019, the rape clearance rate in Oklahoma was just 12 percent. So why not focus legislative efforts on policies that would better punish perpetrators as opposed to arguably punishing victims by forcing them to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term? Uh, the laws in Oklahoma actually allow for capital punishment uh, for rape. Now, I don't know of an easy way to make the clearance rate higher, um, but uh, I would be happy to support anything that would increase that. I also want to just note, you said forcible rape. Is there non-forcible rape in your mind? No, ma'am. Okay, that's, that just wanted to make sure we were clear about that. Representative, according to the most recent Department of Agriculture cost to raise a child report, families spend almost $13,000 per year for each child. That's data from 2015. And in Oklahoma, the median household income is roughly $53,000. So that means spending at least a fourth of your yearly income on a child. What are you doing to ensure financial and social support for these parents and children is there after pregnancy? Well, let's understand where the responsibility primarily lies. There is a case for appropriate welfare programs in certain situations, but the overarching reality is that responsibility belongs to the parents. And people need to make decisions uh, before, they, before the clothes come off. And if people decide they don't want a child, there are ways to not have a child. So are you and extending they, access to contraceptive care as part of your plan? 
contraceptives are widely available. And what do you plan um, to, to ensure they remain so in Oklahoma? There's not really a need. They are widely available. That, that's really a non-issue. But the overarching truth is that parents are responsible for taking their own children. And to suggest that abortion should be a viable option is as logically valid as suggesting that it would be okay to, um, uh, to take the life of our one-year-old child. Sarah, who expensive. Sarah, who do these abortion restriction laws affect the most? Advocates for abortion rights point out a lot uh, that many times the people seeking abortions are, are disproportionately marginal, marginalized people already. So lower income people, uh, people of color are disproportionately likely to seek abortions. Also, people in rural areas um, have a harder time accessing abortion. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, the Guttmacher Institute, which supports abortion rights, has tracked some of the reasons that women give for having a- abortions. And and often it is economic. Um, as I've been covering this issue for several years, uh, the, the struggle in getting access to contraception is something that many advocates would say is a challenge for, for many patients. Um, whether it's, sometimes it's a matter of cost, but of course the, the Affordable Care Act requires most insurers to cover contraception, but there's some evidence that not all insurers are complying with that right now. Um, but it's also sometimes a matter of access to facilities where people can get contraceptives um, especially the most effective contraceptives. For example, IUDs and other long-acting contraceptives that have a much lower failure rate. Those require going to a medical facility and and getting help from a provider. Um, and those kinds of resources are, are not accessible to everyone. Um, certainly, if you are disabled, if you lack transportation, if you live a long way from the nearest clinic. And one sort of side effect of increasing restrictions on abortion across the country is that places like Texas have seen many of these family planning clinics close because many of them provided abortion but also provided other services. Um, so, you know, the, the reasons are, are many and complex, and they're different for every person. Sometimes there are situations where, you know, there's a complication with a pregnancy that requires essentially an abortion procedure to um, to, to, to terminate it and to, to, to bring the person um, through that process. Representative, the draft opinion indicates the court thinks decisions around abortion should be left up to states. And some of your neighbors, like Colorado, have enshrined the right to an abortion in state law. Do you agree it should be a state-by-state decision? Uh, yes, ma'am. I would agree with that because states' um, decisions of the federal government should be limited, limited to the 19 enumerated powers. And as the 10th Amendment says, anything else should be left to the states or to the people, respectively. That's Representative Jim Olson, a Republican from Oklahoma. He sponsored that state's recent laws restricting abortion. Representative, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me on. And let's turn now to Colorado. The Democrat behind Colorado's law guaranteeing the right of anyone in the state to get an abortion joins us now, Representative Meg Froelich. She joins us from Denver. Representative, welcome to 1A. Thank you for having me. So how did you react to the leaked draft indicating the court would likely overturn Roe v. Wade and KCV Planned Parenthood, another case codifying abortion rights? Well, even though we knew this day was coming, I f- the leaked draft uh, is was is and remains quite shocking actually um, we were um, upset outraged saddened 
Um, there wasn't, we were prepared for it, but in a way it caught us really um, off guard in its severity. Well, you introduced your abortion access bill just after the Supreme Court's oral arguments last fall in the Mississippi abortion case. You say you were taken off guard by the draft decision, but were you preparing for this possibility? Well, the whole reason we enacted our Reproductive Health Equity Act was to prepare for this day because we did think Roe was going to fall just based on the oral arguments in the Dobbs case. So, yes. Let's play this message we received from Francis in Colorado. Here in Colorado, it's gotten much easier. We have a new law legalizing abortion at every stage in pregnancy. Many of us think this goes too far. I'd personally like to see us stick with what Roe actually provides, which is a 24-week cutoff. Uh, And I believe that would go according to many people's, uh, many of our people's opinion. I believe we need to stick to more moderate legislation and that that will be more sustainable in the long run. Representative Froelich, what exactly does the Colorado law cover? Yes, thank you. The Reproductive Health Equity Act does uh, three things. It's pretty simple. It's pretty lean. Um, It establishes the right to choose or refuse contraceptives. It establishes the right to choose to continue a pregnancy or to have an abortion. And it thirdly uh, emphasizes that fertilized eggs embryos do not have independent rights under the laws of the state. And so that, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, that um, that gets at our many personhood amendments that we've had run in our, we're a a state that can take issues to the ballot. So we've run, uh, people have run ballot initiatives over and over again to establish personhood for fertilized eggs. Representative Froelich, what are your larger concerns about this, this possible ruling outside of Colorado? I think the leaked brief, um, and we have every reason to believe it's on track to be very close to what will be the actual uh, ruling in June, um, is very broad, uh, but it also gets at so many fundamental underpinnings of a whole set of civil rights. Uh, So it attacks our right to privacy, um, in addition to saying both Roe and Casey, uh, uh, you know, need to go. And it's interesting to me that so much of the testimony that we heard, we just heard record-breaking hours of testimony when we heard our bill, um, said so many things. that showed up then, so many beliefs, and so many of them religious-based beliefs that then showed up in the Supreme Court brief. So it's definitely evidence of a national movement to to take away these fundamental, what we believe are fundamental rights, um, including this right to privacy that underpines so many um, important um, aspects of our of our lives. And so, we are very worried about our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and all of the decisions that have been made um, to ensure their rights in our community as well. Well, we got this email from Steve who says, as a gay man married to an immigrant, I am justifiably afraid that the next right on the chopping block is marriage equality. Sarah, in the draft opinion, Justice Samuel Alito references several other Supreme Court decisions as being based on similarly, in his opinion, flawed logic. Those cases include Obergefell v. Hodges, which legalized gay marriage, Lawrence v. Texas, which legalized sodomy. 
with the caveat that all, again, we've seen is a draft of the court's decision. Could the rulings in other Supreme Court decisions like marriage equality be at risk if Roe is overturned? I mean, that is a really big question. And it's certainly what I'm hearing from advocates, reproductive rights advocates are, are, are raising that alarm. We heard you know, President Biden, of course, uh, raise the same concern. But I think I would point out a couple of things about that. In this draft opinion, Justice Alito specifically said that it tried to sort of separate out uh, abortion from, from other as he called them, sort of intimate issues, things like sexuality and marriage and contraception, and say that abortion is distinct because, as he put it, it would it would uh, destroy fetal life. Um, so he's trying to sort of draw a line there, and I think I think the implication, the suggestion, is that this uh, overturning Roe would not mean uh, what advocates fear it would mean for a president, like you just mentioned. But I I think at the same time, you have to recognize that overturning Roe v. Wade, longstanding precedent, um, you know, that does signal something about the court's willingness to rethink what what many of the justices in their confirmation hearings said was was settled precedent. They said they would defer to stare decisis. and and so so this is a real question going forward about where would this logic end and and it is something I think we're going to hear about more and more uh, especially in the midterms. Um, this is an argument I'm hearing from a lot of folks, a lot of activists, um, reproductive rights advocates, and, and other progressives. Is just that if this right is threatened, then other rights like same sex marriage could be as well. Representative Fro, like very briefly, what's next for you in Colorado? Well, I think it's interesting in a post-Roe world um, and reflected in our bill is that, um, you know, we don't have gestational language. And it was interesting that that caller referenced gestational language. So um, I think we are in a post-Roe world and we're going to continue to make sure that um, women and pregnant people have access to the full range of reproductive uh, decisions. That's Colorado Representative Meg Froelich. She's a Democrat and she sponsored the state's law codifying the right to an abortion. Representative, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app and leave us a voicemail. Let's get back to our conversation on abortion access. Joining us now is Dr. Colleen McNicholas. She's the chief medical officer at Planned Parenthood of the St. Louis and Southwest Missouri regions. Dr. McNicholas, Roe isn't overturned yet, but what was the reaction at your clinic when the draft opinion was leaked? You know, although we have been expecting it um, and preparing for it, it still was unsettling. Um, Folks still need a moment to sort of take a deep breath and recollect themselves. Um, But ultimately, you know, after a few minutes passed, they sort of came back together resilient um, and with some solidarity in knowing that we've already been operating under what many call a post-Roe world. You know, for those of us who provide abortion care in states like Missouri and now Texas, those of us on the ground who have been doing this work for a long time in restrictive states have already been navigating what the rest of, or a a large part of the country will now be navigating um, in the coming days and weeks. Can you give us some detail, uh, some insight into how that's played out for your clinic? 
you know, one of the most important things is uh, reassuring patients that today uh, abortion is still legal in all, all 50 states. And if you have an abortion appointment with us in Missouri, or you have one in Texas or Arkansas or Mississippi, those appointments are still valid and you can still get that care. And so we're fielding lots of calls from patients about whether they can still get care. And the other reality is as we're making appointments for future care, we're being transparent and honest with folks to say today you can make that appointment. And today we have every intention of being able to complete that appointment with you. But the reality is, is any day now we could get that decision. And Missouri is a handful of states, as you had talked about earlier, with trigger laws, uh, which means that at any moment, if that final decision comes out and is as devastating as it suggests it will be, uh, Missourians will immediately lose access to abortion in their state. Sarah, how are clinics and uh, providers across the country responding to the leaked draft? I think what you're hearing from Dr. McNicholas is really indicative of what's being felt in a lot of places. Um, One of the first people I got on the phone with on Monday night when this news broke of this draft opinion um, was was a reproductive rights and justice activist in Mississippi where this case originated, right? The the case before the Supreme Court, uh, as I think we've said, um, started with a Mississippi case banning abortion at 15 weeks, but it, it could have much more wide-ranging effects. And and this activist just told me much of what Dr. McNicholas said. It was very similar. She said, this is what we've been expecting, and yet to, it's sort of sinking in now um, that this appears to be reality, even though it's a, you know, it's a draft opinion. It, it's just feeling more real. Um, in terms of how clinics are preparing, uh, as we've said, in places where there are less restrictive abortion laws, where there are abortion rights protections that the clinics are have been getting ready for for months really to absorb new patients and many already are for those in states uh, like Missouri where really the right to abortion could disappear at any moment uh, there's a lot more uncertainty I mentioned earlier that I was in Kentucky recently during that approximately one week period where all abortions in the state had shut down. And they shut down not primarily because of a gestational ban, um, a ban uh, that the law I mentioned includes a ban on abortion after 15 weeks, much like Mississippi's. Um, But really, and this is another sort of interesting aspect of how this all works, the the state legislature in Kentucky just put so many layers of regulations on how abortions could be provided and who could provide them that the two clinics in that state both said, we are just going to shut down for uh, until this law is blocked. And, you know, during those moments, I was in one of those clinics, the Planned Parenthood in Louisville, um, standing in the room where normally patients are recovering, uh, and it was completely quiet. There was no one there. And I really think that is sort of a window into what's likely to happen very soon if this opinion comes down the way uh, it looks like it's going to. Clinics are going to be in limbo. They're going to have to stop doing what they're doing. There will be some litigation probably in many states to work through exactly how the decision and however it's ultimately worded applies to specific state laws in those states. So there will be lots of questions, what one source of mine called a mosh pit of uncertainty. Uh, But the bottom line is that a lot of patients will find themselves unable to get abortions and will be looking at potentially going out of state or um, they may not be able to. That's an option that's not available for everybody. Uh, it, It requires financial resources. It requires 
time. It may require childcare, time off of work. And there are just many layers um, that you can imagine uh, make it make that a challenging decision for people. Well, Missouri's Republican Governor Mike Parson signed that law in 2019 saying that if Roe was overturned by the Supreme Court, abortion would become illegal in the state. And I believe in two months you can make a decision. I believe that, that that can be done. But in two months' time, I also believe that that child, that's right. Dr. McNicholas, what do you tell patients about how their care might change because of the trigger law? You know, we are completely honest and upfront with folks. We say that um, although it isn't uh, something that we would like to do, we have to comply with law. And so although there's tremendous uncertainty right now, um, if we get to the point, the moment, if you are sitting with me in the exam room during your abortion visit, when this decision comes down, we're not going to abandon you. We're going to help figure out how you can continue to get the abortion care that you need and deserve in a dignified way. Um, But it is really unsettling for folks. Um, We're going to continue to support them in in whatever way that we can. And I think that's a really important um, aspect of what we're seeing play out here in in the the post-leak world where, you know, different players in the abortion care ecosystem are really stepping up to start working together to make sure that, you know, as we face this public health crisis of mass mobilization of of patients across the United States for basic health care, that we're all doing our part to make sure that access is the thing that's driving us. Dr. McNicholas, we got this email from Shirley who says, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, I wonder about the effect on women needing care after miscarriages. Will there be states in which women have reason to fear seeking care and or physicians to fear providing care because of possible charges related to abortion? And we should say here that sometimes after having a miscarriage, um, a DNC is necessary uh, for the health of the mother. But Dr. Nicholas, what's your response? Could this ruling impact the ability to perform that procedure after a miscarriage? It's an excellent question and a really important point about the unintended or potentially intended consequences, but unstated consequences of um, uh, of eliminating abortion access in a state. So, um, yeah, I can tell you right now that even uh, living and practicing in a state like Missouri, where consequences of violation of some of these laws and regulations comes with loss of your medical license um, and potential criminal uh, prosecution, you know, it puts physicians in a really difficult position, particularly in a state where the legal landscape, the legislative landscape, and the political landscape is so hostile. Physicians would be placed in a position where they have to decide, you know, would somebody else, would a hostile legislator believe that this person is sick enough? Um, and that's just an untenable position and, and puts physicians in a place where um, they're forced to, to choose between their oath to medical ethics and to do the right thing and care uh, for the patient in the way that is best for them or to face potential loss of their medical license and, and, and prosecution. The other reality is that we're going to have an entire generation of physicians who don't know how to perform basic procedures. You know, abortion is the most common obstetric and gynecologic procedure that we perform um, in our, our field of medicine. And so as those procedures and that care goes away, we are also going to lose a whole generation of physicians who will lose the ability to save people's lives with very simple techniques. We also got this question from Leslie, who emails, please comment on how abortion bans will affect ectopic pregnancies. I read about politicians in Texas, for example, 
who do not see ectopic pregnancy as a medical emergency and have proposed monitoring pregnant women with this unfortunate condition until it becomes a medical emergency. And an ectopic pregnancy is is where the embryo implants outside of the uterus. It could be potentially um, life-threatening, if not life-ending. But Dr. McNicholas, I'll come to you on this. How would you respond to Leslie? The mainstream medicine for a long time um, facilitated, fostered, and supported the siloing of abortion care outside of of standard medical care. And the consequence of that has been that there is tremendous misinformation amongst those who are making the policies and regulations and enforcing these these different laws. Um, And so it really is critical for our mainstream medical organizations, for people who practice medicine across all fields to really start standing up um, and correcting every single piece of medical misinformation that comes out of these, these policies. The truth is ectopic pregnancies left untreated Um, can and for many people still uh, become life-threatening situations. And so it is important, it is essential and critical actually that we are being clear about uh, what the actual medical literature and the facts are when we're talking about pregnancy. Dr. McNicholas, what implications could this potential change to abortion access in Missouri have beyond abortion? Could there be implications for other types of care that you provide? Absolutely. So we already heard a little bit earlier in the show about uh, the other cases that were mentioned in this draft opinion, um, specifically talking about contraception. I I will tell you, I was personally shocked to see that um, the right to not be forcibly sterilized was mentioned as as a right that falls into this bucket. I mean, when, you know, abortion is part of the reproductive lifespan of so many people. Um, And when we think about the things that are, you know, that are killing women um, and and pregnant folks uh, across the reproductive lifespan, it isn't abortion. Um, In fact, abortion is what oftentimes can keep people safe and healthy and help them plan for healthy pregnancies down the line. And so, you know, anything that's going to limit any option that we have to take care of folks in pregnancy, which can be an incredibly complicated Um, health time for folks uh, is going to be detrimental to folks' overall health um, and and the health of their family down the line. And so how are you preparing to try to ensure that the the other types of care you provide are still there for for your patients? Well, the truth is we all should be coming at this from a justice and an intersectional lens, right? So folks don't enter their abortion care in a silo. They come to abortion care um, with many other aspects of life impacting that decision. And so we have to be looking at things like birth justice, and we have to be looking at things like racial justice, and we have to be fighting for things like um, equitable pay and um and and just general gender justice. These are all intersecting justice movements that actually rely on the same principles and the same fundamentals. And so as we are thinking about that long-term strategy to build back a better system that works for everybody, we have to have a really broad net and, and be able to capture all of those aspects of life that people bring to the table when they seek abortion care. Sarah, it's only been a few days since news of the Supreme Court's draft decision leaked. What are you watching for next? Well, in addition to the, the issues that Dr. McNicholas just identified, I think there are a couple of major sort of new fronts in the battle over abortion rights. And, and one thing I've been reporting on and really watching is medication abortion, abortion pills. Um, more than half of procedures in the United States now take place through abortion pills, not through surgical procedures. And so that's increasingly an area that anti-abortion rights activists are trying to regulate. Um, 
at the state level particularly. Uh, there are a lot of new proposals and some new laws that have been passed th just this year. Um, overall, the medical community would say that self-induced abortion, as it's called, is safe if done correctly with the right information and under the right circumstances, and ideally with medical support, support from a provider in case there are any problems. That's NPR national correspondent Sarah McCammon. Also with us was Dr. Colleen McNicholas. She's the chief medical officer at Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, Missouri. Sarah, Dr. McNicholas, thanks to you both for joining us. Today's producers were Arfi Getty and Amanda Williams. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again tomorrow. This is 1A.